Welcome, good afternoon. Thanks so much for being here for today's training on understanding the stress response. My name is Danielle Cameron and I'm an associate clinical social worker with an extensive and large background in really supporting transitional age youth uh, through both clinical case management as well as intakes. Um, a lot of the background of the populations that I have served and serve um, are homeless, DCFS, and juvenile justice involved. And I am pleased to be here today with you all um, as a community mental health trainer with the UCLA DMH Public Mental Health Partnership. So welcome. And thank you to everyone who is jumping in the chat and introducing yourselves. I think it's only right that we, you know, do some synergy here. You get to know a little bit about me, and then we also get to know a little bit about you all. All right. So as you can see, these are the learning objectives for today. We're going to learn about the five different types of stress that we can experience we're going to see how two specific components of the stress response system interact and cause changes in the body. We're also going to look at a few specific changes that actually take place in our bodies to understand how they are both adaptive and maladaptive responses. And um, we're also going to engage in a brief um intervention around relaxation relaxation, and mindfulness. Um, and so I like to also take this time to kind of talk through what today is, what today is not. Um, so today is really going to be talking a lot through the biological and physiological systems and responses that our bodies have as a response to stress. And it is not going to be how you can get rid of stress um, or how, um, you know, those, what does stress um, do for us and how can we avoid it at all costs? So that's not really today's training. Um, more so today, we will be normalizing stress and acknowledging that it is inherently a biological feature of our human bodies that we all go through. Okay, so I really hope that aside from the learning objectives on the screen, that the takeaways that you all walk away with is normalizing stress, understanding that it is ultimately a, an outcome of our biological stress response. And then of course, there's gonna be the added takeaway of a brief uh, technique uh, for relaxation to kind of um, put our stress response back into homeostasis. Okay, so those are the major takeaways. Disclaimer might be an unnecessary slide, especially since I already introduced myself, um, but I'm not a doctor. <laughs> uh, just important to provide this disclaimer because a lot of what we will be talking about today has to do with responses that occur in our bodies with a little sprinkle of talking about some physical health things, but just notes that I'm not a doctor and I'm not going to be providing any medical advice, and that the majority of this presentation is based off of research and not from the lens of basing it off of a specific set of symptoms. So I wish I was able to have gone to med school 
and tackled that, but we're all in the helping fields in one way, shape, or form. All right, so jumping on into understanding a little more. Oh, and sure, Muriel, um, no problem. Glad you enjoyed that. So what exactly is stress? I'm sure that we can all uh, attest to maybe knowing how we feel about stress um, and knowing how it feels in our bodies. Um, but I know myself uh, until doing the legwork to gather the content for this uh, training today, well, definitely did not conceptualize stress uh, from the biological standpoint. Um, and I came across this definition from the Cleveland Clinic, um, which I think is the most fitting, right? And so as you can see, um, this will be our shared uh, definition of what stress is um, throughout today. But stress is defined as a normal reaction the body has when there are changes or new demands. And as a result of those changes or new demands, physical, mental, and emotional reactions occur. And so stress is ultimately the collection of responses um, that our body produces, right? In reaction to these changes or new demands. And so it's clear um, that through this definition, there's really ultimately no way to avoid stress. We are just simply unable to avoid changes. And we also have demands that we need to meet. And it would be helpful to note that many of those demands that we experience come from ourselves. So we can consider, right, if you think back to the onset of that infamous uh, word COVID-19, <laughs> um, that there were a lot of changes and a lot of demands that ultimately induced quite a lot of stress, which is an understatement. Um, so if you consider the onset of COVID-19, um, I want to hear from you all, what were some changes that you can recall that maybe um, are still changes that are very much so a part of your day-to-day, -day, your family's day-to-day -day as a result of COVID? So you can throw in the chat, what were some of those changes that, that occurred? I know, for example, um, there was fewer traffic. <laughs> Folks were definitely encouraged to stay home to isolate. So we had fewer people out as well. So those were some key changes. A lot of work practices changes um, occurred. Folks were working from home, not able to go to the movies or social events, right? That was a huge one, definitely, definitely. So yeah, several changes. And then ultimately there became and has become, uh, right, a whole new risk of getting sick. Yes, kids disruption in education. Yeah, definitely. At the time, working with children in foster care and relying on video communication to check in with them and their foster families. Correct. We had to now adapt as we're still doing today, right here, right now, right? Uh, interacting and engaging from a virtual world. Yes, having to telework. Yes, I agree. Working from home can be isolating. So Muriel, perfect segue. Um, so that definitely speaks into some of the demands. So, right, stress is a normal reaction as 
we encounter new changes and then also new demands. Um, and so one of those demands, thinking back to COVID-19, um, having to work from home. Um, earlier, I saw someone mention social distancing, right? Um, vaccines and booster requirements, talk about new demands. Um, so I'm sure that, you know, we all could continue to add to this list um, and that ultimately each person, as you all demonstrated, thank you for your participation. Um, each person um, has demands and changes that came to mind that um, in particularly were specific and affected you all, right, individually. And so when we consider bundling these changes and these demands into one package, uh, and then explore how the body responds to the sets that set of new circumstances, that is how you can visualize and picture what stress is. It'll be more clear as we go on, I promise. So to summarize, once again, stress is how our bodies respond to changes and demands in our life. And stress is a set of reactions that ultimately keep us safe from harm and motivate us to move forward. The stress reaction is truly a critical biological function that has evolved over time to ensure human survival. Uh, this is uh, demonstrated here on the slide. Um, stress can produce or induce the emotion of um, anxiety, right? Um, and it's driven by fear, ultimately. And um, all of this occurs, we experience fear um, that turns into um, labeling it as stress or anxiety uh, as our body's biological reaction, right? And it's doing all of this to support our survival. So that activation of our fear center triggers the release of stress hormones and nerve impulses that do all kinds of things, drives up our blood pressures, our heart rates and our oxygen intakes, ultimately preparing our bodies for fight or flight, okay? And so it's important to note that this is all happening outside of your own um, thought process. Truly, it's happening outside of your own control. And we'll talk about exactly what's going on um, from a physiological standpoint that is producing what we feel, producing that anxiety, heart rate going up, blood pressure driving up, right? And so the take home is that to understand really what stress is, um, you know, it's important that we look at what it's not. And what I wanna emphasize here, stress is not an emotion. Stress causes emotions, but it within itself is actually not the emotion, right? So when you consider that, stress is just not something that we can get rid of. And truly, we just mentioned how stress supports um, our survival. Uh, it's not something that we really want to get rid of, right? Of course, we don't, and we want to avoid chronic stress. And we'll talk about you know ways for managing the onset of chronic stress. But stress within itself, is something that our bodies ultimately rely on. Uh, and so we'll cover that in today's presentation that, you know, ignoring stress, covering, 
covering it up or suppressing it also is not helpful. And that is why we want to look at the stress response and see how what we are experiencing can provide us with a glimpse of how to address what we are experiencing what we are experiencing and really addressing the situations that are causing those reactions, right? So <clears throat> as you can see here, we have this diagram and this is breaking down the five distinct categories that stress falls into. Um, you can also view that as stress having two main domains and one of these domains having four subcategories. The two main types of stress are really good stress, which is eustress. Um, I myself didn't know about eustress or that stress could be labeled good. Um, and then there's the other side of things, distress, um, which is typically thought of as the bad stress. Um, we won't spend too much of our time looking into eustress because it's more of the positive side of things. Um, and people don't say like, oh, I don't want to I don't want any more eustress in my life. I've had enough eustress. Um, but um, we will definitely focus more on distress, of course. So um, let's go into those categories. So underneath underneath distress, the four main uh, subcategories that we'll go into detail are ambient stress routine stress, sudden stress, or sudden negative stress, and traumatic stress. Okay, just to provide visuals here, this right here is a visual of the different levels of stress using test tubes to demonstrate, right? So as you can see in the test tubes, you can label stress as the liquids that are represented in each tube. Some events and some situations may cause different levels of stress. And this is truly a relevant comparison because the stress response that occurs in our bodies does actually rely on chemistry and different amounts of chemicals in our bodies. And so as we continue through the presentation, I encourage everyone to think about how the different situations that you have experienced measure up. So consider as we talk about these different subcategories of stress, um, what would your test tube look like um, per each category? How much stress, how much liquid is in that test tube? And what you would find out if we explored that and had open discussion, um, which I do a little bit more of in person, um, providing this training. Um, but what folks will find out is that, of course, we all interpret stress differently. And so ultimately, our test tubes um, are going to be filled at, at different measurement lines um, compared to our own individual set of resources and coping mechanisms, um, and also our perceptions individually um, and how we perceive events that occur. Okay, so we're going to take a look at the first category here of distress, ambient stress. So ambient stress was definitely a new concept for me. And the stress is negative 
And it's something that we definitely don't think too much about on a daily basis. However, it does contribute to our overall stress levels. You can also think of ambient stress, like I consider ambient noise. And I think of that, which is like that white noise, right? So it's just very much background noise that is there. It can be annoying, but you're not able to readily identify if it even is there or not, right? Sometimes you're like, maybe it's just in my head. Um, but ambient stress is similar. It's background stress. Um, and so alternatively, oftentimes there's very little that you can even do about it directly. But there are some ways in which we still try to gain some control over it by being a part of the solution. So as you can see, some examples of ambient stress include pollution, noise, world events. And, um, you know, of course, there are plenty of groups, community groups uh, and organizations that try to be a part of the solution, right, of these different forms of ambient stress. Second category of stress here, or under, excuse me, second category falling under our two uh, mains of stress is um, the category under distress. Uh, remember, so we have eustress and we have distress. And so routine stress is um, the second category underneath distress. And routine stress is what we experience for the most part on our everyday. And so I like to use the example um, going back to COVID-19 and um, we're pretending that it came and went. And for some of us in our lives, it did kind of go, so to say, in terms of how we are now in our uh, current day-to-day -day routines. Um, so just consider that now, uh, for those of you who have been teleworking, um, you know, you're back back in person, full-time, back in work. So um, this example is um, based around, you know, consider yourself driving to work um, and running a little bit late. You have an 8.30 meeting and you're running late. And on top of you running late, there's extra traffic. And on top of there being extra, extra traffic is also raining. <laughs> And so I think we can, we've all been in that situation to some degree at some point. And so now here we are experiencing a stress reaction. We're feeling the demands to be on time for the 8.30 a.m. meeting. And our stress responses are telling us that we're falling a little bit short of this demand. And then we're beating ourselves up because we're thinking about how we could have avoided all of this by maybe not hitting snooze, by maybe spending a little less time in that shower, even though it was really cold, so it felt good, um, by not taking time out to get that coffee um, to go because sometimes, you know, they do stack up the coffee <laughs> in our break room and we could have just got it at work. Uh, but here we are. So we're beating ourselves up, but accepting this. And now we're back presence in our cars, in this traffic, and realizing that there is just even more traffic on the road. So here we can think about that as a demand. And with this added demand, it's raining. <laughs> so this um, represents the change. 
and it hardly rains in LA, of course. So now we have to do things differently to adapt to that. Um, because as we all know, people in LA do not know how to drive in the rain. And um, we are now experiencing um, all of these signals going off and impacting our stress response, right? And so this is what you can consider routine stress. It's just what we deal with day to day. Um, in addition to traffic, uh, as you can see, um, relationship challenges could be a part of someone's uh, routine stress test tube, uh, budgeting, having some, some challenges with budgeting. Maybe we um, charge a little bit more extra to that credit card um, than we typically do. Um, and then, of course, health challenges. For some, that is a day-to-day um, occurrence and challenge. And so you can all consider this as a part of routine stress. Outside of what is listed on the slide, does anyone have any other examples of routine stress? Paying bills? Absolutely. <laughs> mm, our children falling and hurting themselves. Yeah, how dare they do that? <laughs> so yeah, great examples. Let me go to planning a meal. Oh my gosh. Yes, I experienced definitely routine stress around what am I going to eat today? Meal planning is very hard and stressful sometimes. So commercial break, um, as mentioned earlier, and I know you all definitely recall the two main categories of stress, you stress, distress, you stress, um, I mentioned, of course, um, we're not going to be going into a lot of details about you stress, um, but just wanted to briefly discuss, um, you know, the good side um, of, of stress, <laughs> if that even is a thing. So here we are, you stress results when the task is challenging enough that it motivates, but not too challenging that we begin to experience the negative effects of stress. Okay, so I'm going to add a curiosity, see if before I provide examples, does anyone based off of this definition um, have any ideas around what an example of you stress could be? What an example is of a, an experience, a situation that occurs um, in our lives? It could be a situational experience so it could be an experience that doesn't happen on a daily um it could be um well actually that's your major hint um as i'm thinking through this now um most of you stress is um actually one-off kind of experiences um and situational experiences working out I can see, I can see working out. Um, yeah, because it's challenging enough, but it motivates you to continue on. I like that. Test taking stress or job interview. Ooh, okay. Taking the law and ethics exam. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can see that. So I really love how brave y'all are. Um because you stress it, we don't talk about it. It's tricky. So 
gold stars for all of you. So I'm going to throw in some other examples. So um, get ready to have your minds blown. So you stress um, vacations. <laughs> so the, the stress that comes with the planning, um, unless you enjoy that, um, but me, myself, and I'm not personally um, that fond of the planning stages of um, the vacation. Um, but, um, you know, vacations uh, are are definitely an example of you stress because it is a challenging situation in terms of the preparation, the background legwork, the making sure you packed everything, you got everything, I mean, and having a plan B for your plan A, but at the same time, it's a challenge enough that is motivating and you don't experience the same level of stress response in our bodies, um, that onset of stress hormones isn't released um, in the same time, in the same way that it would be for categories that fall under distress. Another example of eustress, uh, I know someone mentioned about the job interview, but actually getting a promotion, um, you know, it's it's exciting. You're getting a new set of challenge changes, excuse me, a new set of demands that can produce an initial excitement. And then um, at the same time, some pressure um, of, you know, the unknown of, of that new set of demands and changes. Similar, another example you stress, marriage. Hello, right? Another another opportunity there where, you know, new, new set of demands, um, new changes. It's, you know, exciting, but then there's also, you know, that little angst and that little um, also uh, set of pressure internally around what is what can this experience, um, or even, excuse me, planning for the wedding itself. That's a whole other thing, but marriage then, um, you know, it's like, what am I going to, um, just the act of, uh, that new set of a life experience, um, built with joy, but also at the same time, I'm filled with a little bit of pressure too. Um, yes, subjective. Exactly. There you go. That is, um, essentially right. What, um, I've, been asking uh, or asked in the beginning as we go through these examples for you all to consider how your test tubes, going back to that visual, as you can see on the screen, are you stress test tube here? So, um, right, it's going to be, it's going to be um, different for, for everybody. That amount, that perception um, is going to be individualized um, per person for a lot of different reasons. All right, enough about you stress because we said we wouldn't go on and on about it. And yet we did. So <laughs> sudden negative stress. So going back to our distress subcategories here, um, this category seems to be, you know, pretty self-explanatory. Uh, examples include the death of a family member or, or loved one, the unexpected loss of, of a job, for example. Um, the unexpected loss of a significant relationship. Um, so essentially, sudden negative stress are the things that occur in our lives. Um, even in this picture here, car accident, you didn't expect this to happen. So it's a demand that has been placed on you and you need to implement changes to how you're going to navigate your day-to-day -day in order to meet that new demand. Okay. So traumatic stress. So this type of stress is one that we won't spend too much time talking about today. 
Um, but going back to just the previous slide that we saw um, where there's the visual, uh, the image of that car accident, um, you know, that scenario can fall, car accident can be a sudden negative stress that can easily also turn into a traumatic stress if it was serious, right? So um, traumatic stress as defined by SAMHSA uh, describes an individual trauma as resulting from an event, series of events, or set of circumstances that is experienced by an individual as physically or emotionally harmful or life-threatening and that has lasting adverse effects on the individual's functioning and mental, physical, social, emotional, or spiritual well-being, okay? And one more thing uh, to note that's worth mentioning about traumatic stress is that there are also different types. There is the trauma that is a single occurrence. However, there's possible the traumas that are multiple occurrences over a period of time or a set of circumstances. Okay, a single traumatic occurrence could be, as mentioned, a serious car accident. Uh, it could be a personal assault. Um, a set of experiences can be being homeless. Um, and finally, you know, there's the trauma that happens over a period of time repeatedly. And so that could, for example, be a, um, a relationship where the individual is the victim of domestic violence, right? So all complex situations, of course. Um, however, um, understanding that there is stress uh, involved in all of those situations is the foundation to understanding trauma in the way that the outcomes of, of a traumatic stressor um, play out in, in one's lives. Um, you know, I'm sure your client's lives may even come to mind as you think of traumatic stress, okay? As I said, we're not gonna go into traumatic stress um, too much because that is a content area and a training all on its own. But just important to note here that it is a subcategory of distress. So how full is your glass? Um, this is a metaphor that I like to use to really help us conceptualize and understand that stress is really cumulative. And many of us have experienced stressors, I'm sure, that fall in all of the categories that we just discussed. And as you already know, when you experience a new stressor, that doesn't necessarily mean that the old stressors just magically go out the window, right? They might take a back seat while your attention is focused on the more present and pressing immediate stressful situation, but your backseat stressors don't go away. So those test tubes that we talked about earlier, um, think about those being filled with different amounts of waters. Um, and that's how you can think of your stress, right? And so when we think about our different categories that we discussed, um, examples of routine stress, um, even you stress, um, 
working out, someone said was an example of you stress studying or taking the law and ethics exam. So picture your test tubes in those scenarios. Picture the different examples that may have come to mind for you as we talked about routine stress, as we talked about ambient stress, as we talked about um, this last one, traumatic stress, uh, and as we talked about sudden negative stress. And so all of those test tubes are just getting poured into this glass, right? One on top of the other, on top of the other. Um, maybe you have more than one, so that makes you know the water in the glass uh, higher. Um, and so ultimately, you pour all of your test tubes, all the water out right here into this glass, and now you see that your glass is getting pretty full. And so the point here is that it's stress is cumulative, right? And it all adds up. It just does not simply live in isolation. All right. So now that we've talked about the five different types of stress, um, we're going to talk about what happens in real time in our bodies, in our physiological and biological um, processes and systems as a result of all of those stressors. And that is going to be, or these upcoming slides, excuse me, are going to be the stress response. Okay, so to demonstrate how we actually respond to stress, I'm using myself as an example and um, personifying two key parts of the brain, which we'll get into in a second. Um, and hopefully through this example, um, we're making a process that is pretty complex. Um, it's more easily to digest <laughs> and, uh, and wrap our heads around. Okay. So let's get into it. This is me. <laughs> and here I am. Uh, Pre-surgery number two on my knee after I fractured my tibia from the best and then worst <laughs> kickball game um, that I ever played. Uh, as is the case with most people before a procedure, I have a lot of thoughts going on, right? Swirling through my brain about, you know, how much pain am I going to be in? Uh, is this surgery even going to be successful? As I mentioned, this is uh, surgery number two. Um, and so these represent, you know, um, on its own, a set of a lot of new, a lot of, excuse me, big changes um, to um, new demands, right? And so one of those new demands, um, physical therapy um, and wondering, you know, um, am I going to have enough time throughout my workday um, to even commit to the routine of physical therapy? So is this recovery going to be manageable? Um, and, you know, um, lots of changes, lots of demands, pain management. So I'm just going through these thought bubbles <laughs> and kind of summarizing it for you all. Um, and pain management, the thoughts of that, that is, um, in, involves a new set of demands because, um, I was not able to, you know, fully take time off from work 
but I have to be compliant with medications so that I can make it through the day um, while, you know, incurring all this pain. Um, And so I'm just like, oh my goodness, am I going to be able you know, to um, manage the side effects of of highly prescribed pain meds um, and still be productive as I need to and focused um, like I need to. And so um, lots of um, different um, forms of, you know, anxieties um, as I'm seeing right here, laying here and waiting for the anesthesiologist uh, to come. And so I'm also, as I'm laying there, thinking about what is going to be my uh, after surgery meal because, um, you know, I'm, I'm hungry now. <laughs> you have to fast before you can get a procedure done. And now at this point, I'm just reaching a level of like, okay, and I'm also just starving at this point. So kind of eager and trying to distract myself um, around, all right, what is going to be my go-to? What will I eat when I wake up and I'm discharged? Um, We're going to talk about, you know, the hunger factor actually a little bit more because as I noted, you fast pre-surgery, but uh, also hunger could have been a um, an effect of a stress hormone doing what it does. And that stress hormone is called cortisol. So sneak peek and keep that in mind for later. All right. So all of these very real stressors, um, along with a stress-related symptom, um, that hunger part, um, all represent changes and demands. And even though this experience in itself is a new stressor. Um, I'm still going to classify it as falling under the category of routine stress. Uh, For some people, surgery may be a sudden negative stressor, depending on the severity of, you know, the the physical uh, situation at hand. Um, However, this wasn't my first surgery. Um, I had time um, to prepare, um, for this one, um, in advance. I knew, you know, a little bit of what to expect. Um, so this one, we're going to classify, like I said, under the category of routine stress. Um, but again, right. Muriel hit the nail on the head earlier when talking about different examples of eustress and seeing how people had different, of course, varying examples. It's subjective. And so my perception of this stress itself um, subjects subjective and based on my own, you know, um, experience and perception. So next slide, let's see what is going on. As I'm laying here on a physiological and biological level. So this is going to be our introduction to the stress response. So I want to introduce you to two key players, two main characters in the stress response. On the left, you have the amygdala, and on the right, you have the hypothalamus, both very important in how our bodies respond to stress, okay? Um, They are located deep within the brain. They're actually fairly close to each other. And they do a lot of different jobs in our brains. But for the purposes of today, 
I'm only going to focus on their roles as they relate to stress. Okay, and before we see what the amygdala and hypothalamus do to respond to stress, um, I'm sure if you don't currently have this office environment or setting, you at some point have had this office environment or setting, um, but think about that time or maybe it's this current time where you have your cubicle and your workstation and then you have your cubicle neighbor to the side of you. Um, and even though you all are within earshot of each other, could definitely just send a bird call from cubicle to cubicle, um, you still instead send an email, okay? So I just like using that analogy because that is essentially what our main characters, the amygdala and the hypothalamus do. So using that analogy, we're going to see the emails going on between these um, next door neighbors in our brain as a result of the stress response. And so here we have an, uh, an email from the amygdala and the subject line is threat alert. And so the amygdala writes, hi, hypothalamus. I hope this message finds you well. The census picked up a possible threat from the human regarding having another knee surgery. I cross-referenced it with some information I had in my memory, and sure enough, the first knee surgery was really bad. It actually reminds the human of when she could not even get up to go to the bathroom without feeling like her knee was being stabbed. I am activating the emotion of anxiety with a bit of fear to motivate the human. Can you alert the autonomic nervous system so the body is ready to act the excuse me to act on the motivation? Okay, so I recognize how silly this is, but the amygdala actually did some really significant things in this very brief message. All right. First significant thing the amygdala did is the amygdala received information from the five senses that described a situation in which a threat may be present. Along with this information, the amygdala accessed some knowledge that is stored in the brain. And then it also looked at previous or historical personal experience. Note that this process happens super fast, happens very quickly, and sometimes it can also be slightly off. Regardless, these things combined permitted the amygdala to sound an alarm. And it wasn't an alarm of you must do something right now or you're going to be hurt. It wasn't the full fight or flight response, but it definitely sounded the alarm. In this message, you can see how the amygdala might be different if I didn't have a previous experience with surgery, right? Maybe if I was older or had pre-existing health issues, the alarm might have actually been louder. So everyone's alarm is going to be different and everyone's message is going to be different. One more note that's important to make is once again, just reiterating how quickly this happens. It takes place in fractions of a second, certainly faster than an email can be typed and sent. And sometimes it also makes mistakes. 
this procedure, this surgical procedure is very different from this, the first one where that surgery was actually performed to correct and heal the fraction with open incisions. This procedure was a little less invasive or actually non-invasive and it was performed strictly to remove scar tissue. However, that experience from the first surgery got pulled into the picture and it helped to shape the message that the amygdala created. So there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and what's important is that we're aware of what's going on in our views, our own views about our current situations as it correlates to stress stressors that maybe have come to mind for you in your own lives, right? So enough about this message. Let's see what the hypothalamus is up to. Here, the hypothalamus is already hard at work. It's switching on the sympathetic nervous system. And we're going to take a step back, though, because we, we got a little too ahead of ourselves. So as you can see, activating the ANS. What is the ANS? The ANS is the autonomic nervous system, not to be confused with the automatic nervous system. Um, sometimes I say that incorrectly all the time. Maybe you have heard it as automatic nervous system yourselves. But the ANS has two divisions. A sympathetic nervous system and a parasympathetic nervous system. Um, that is between just for visual purposes up here. Um, you can see the hypothalamus is on this lever, and that's the lever between the parasympathetic and sympathetic. Okay. So the sympathetic nervous system, what is this? It activates the stress response. All right, so um, that is the, the activation here. And then the parasympathetic nervous system is going to be the calming. It, it deactivates. It returns the system back to the baseline, back to normal functioning. And we will not go into a lot of details here, but just know that they're both on their own, very complex. That is a theme of today. Uh, and utilize multiple chemicals, nerves, and hormones, all of which are way beyond my scope of knowledge as a social worker. Uh, and so for the purposes of what is important for our takeaways today, we're just going to focus on one element here. So let's see what happens next. All right, so we have a response from the hypothalamus to the amygdala, high amygdala, Thanks for your message. I'm doing pretty well. Lots of routine stress to deal with. Anyway, I received your message and I have activated the autonomic nervous system, the sympathetic nervous system to be exact. By the time you receive this, adrenaline, noradrenaline, and cortisol are already flowing so the human will be ready to act. I'm glad you activated a little bit of fear in addition to anxiety. Be careful though because we already have a decent amount of stress hormones flowing from the routine stress that this human has been dealing with. We received a memo from the cardiac department stating that blood pressure has been pretty high lately. Okay, so as you can see, the hypothalamus is responded and the hypothalamus, which can be viewed as the control center, activated that sympathetic nervous system, which we saw in the previous slide, right, with 
hypothalamus controlling that lever. So this activation was ultimately responsible for ensuring that adrenaline, noradrenaline, noradrenaline and cortisol are released into the body. We're going to talk about those hormones in a little bit, but just notes that the hypothalamus is a unique part of the brain. And although it's rather small, it carries a lot of important functions. And here the amygdala has already responded to the hypothalamus. And the message reads, hi, hypothalamus. Thanks for the fast response. Definitely a lot going on with this human right now. You're right. The human's blood pressure is high. I received a perception that this is the case because she recently had her blood pressure checked. As a result, I'm going to ask you to respond to this health concern as well. She needs more motivation to get this stress under control. So from this dialogue, you can see how our stress response can really spiral. The human, me <laughs> in this case, already has some elevated blood pressure because of the stress that she is experiencing. Now she's starting to worry about her blood pressure. Uh, similar to the Parks and Rec video, Ben getting stressed about not being stressed. <laughs> uh, the amygdala here is doing what it was designed for, right? Emotional processing. Our emotions are there to alert us that something is going on. Oftentimes, we choose to ignore what our emotions are trying to communicate. So let's see what happens next. From the hypothalamus to the amygdala. Yep, I went ahead and activated the ANS automatic, autonomic, excuse me. See, I did it. <laughs> autonomic nervous system in response to this blood pressure concern. The ANS is going to add a bit more epinephrine, norepinephrine, and cortisol into the mix. Uh, once again, those are all stress hormones, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. So don't worry if you're like, what is she speaking right now? <laughs> so it is going to contribute to the problem, but I hope it is a wake-up call. As you know, the ANS has the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system team has been working over time. However, have you seen the parasympathetic nervous system team lately? I think they all might be working from home. Just added a little funny in there, but let's process this message for a minute. So here the hypothalamus closed the loop and that it directed that's the sympathetic nervous system, or excuse me, it directed the sympathetic nervous system to increase the stress hormones, the epinephrine, norepinephrine, cortisol, those are all stress hormones. And so hypothalamus told the sympathetic nervous system, give her more. She needs more of that because uh, the human, i.e. me, right, again, uh, is now worried about blood pressure. So it was just a response to a response of me being stressed out um, and just from the blood pressure um, reading that I had prior to surgery and knowing like I already had a high number. Um, and so once again, it's that worrying about being worried kind of thing going on. And as a result of that, just the body's just reacting and responding. So it's like, oh, you're worried? Up the stress hormones. <laughs> 
Um, so back to the message. Um, hopefully you remember how the hypothalamus was saying that the parasympathetic nervous system hasn't been seen in a while, okay? That's because this is a complex system that puts the brakes on the stress response system. It's a system because it involves so many different parts of the body, numerous chemicals and processes, and activating the body and initiating the body um, into engaging in all of these processes and re the releases of these hormones happens much quicker than deactivating the body. So remember that lever that the hypothalamus was on. And so the activation of the sympathetic nervous system happens a lot quicker than pulling the lever back and now deactivating the body or the parasympathetic nervous system. So essentially, we've laid out what communication may look like between two parts of the brain, okay? I hope that the personification of these two parts was helpful in, concept in conceptualizing how the processes works. Um, and for the thousandth time that I've said it, I'll say it again, it is a complex process. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. So just keep that in mind. But it's also worth noting that this process, although it appears that it is potentially spiraling, is doing exactly what it is designed to do. The amygdala is processing the emotion and the hypothalamus is activating physiological changes in the body. The emotions are there in case you're wondering so that we can be alerted to what's going on. And the physiological changes are there to help us respond in a timely manner. Right. Any questions? I know that that was a lot <laughs> of information. I applaud you all uh, for being able to sit through uh, these very complex processes and um, really being committed to understanding what stress looks like and how it presents in our bodies. And I like to use different modalities of presenting information, especially uh, really heavy and detailed and, um, you know, <laughs> complex information. Uh, so I thought that we would check out another visual for uh, wrapping your head around this concept of what stress does uh, in our bodies. Cramming for a test? Trying to get more done than you have time to do? Stress is a feeling we all experience when we are challenged or overwhelmed. But more than just an emotion, Stress is a hardwired physical response that travels throughout your entire body. In the short term, stress can be advantageous, but when activated too often or too long, your primitive fight or flight stress response not only changes your brain, but also damages many of the other organs and cells throughout your body. Your adrenal gland releases the stress hormones cortisol, epinephrine, also known as adrenaline, and norepinephrine. As these hormones travel through your bloodstream, they easily reach your blood vessels and heart. Adrenaline causes your heart to beat faster, 
and raises your blood pressure, over time causing hypertension. Cortisol can also cause the endothelium, or inner lining of blood vessels, to not function normally. Scientists now know that this is an early step in triggering the process of atherosclerosis, or cholesterol plaque buildup in your arteries. Together, these changes increase your chances of a heart attack or stroke. When your brain senses stress, it activates your autonomic nervous system. Through this network of nerve connections, your big brain communicates stress to your enteric or intestinal nervous system. Besides causing butterflies in your stomach, this brain-gut connection can disturb the natural rhythmic contractions that move food through your gut, leading to irritable bowel syndrome, and can increase your gut sensitivity to acid, making you more likely to feel heartburn. Via the gut's nervous system, stress can also change the composition and function of your gut bacteria, which may affect your digestive and overall health. Speaking of digestion, does chronic stress affect your waistline? Well, yes. Cortisol can increase your appetite. It tells your body to replenish your energy stores with energy-dense foods and carbs, causing you to crave comfort foods. High levels of cortisol can also cause you to put on those extra calories as visceral or deep belly fat. This type of fat doesn't just make it harder to button your pants. It is an organ that actively releases hormones and immune system chemicals, called cytokines, that can increase your risk of developing chronic diseases, such as heart disease and insulin resistance. Meanwhile, stress hormones affect immune cells in a variety of ways. Initially, they help prepare to fight invaders and heal after injury, but chronic stress can dampen the function of some immune cells, make you more susceptible to infections, and slow the rate you heal. Wanna live a long life? You may have to curb your chronic stress. That's because it has even been associated with shortened telomeres, the shoelace tip ends of chromosomes that measure a cell's age. Telomeres cap chromosomes to allow DNA to get copied every time a cell divides without damaging the cell's genetic code, and they shorten with each cell division. When telomeres become too short, a cell can no longer divide, and it dies. As if all that weren't enough, chronic stress has even more ways it can sabotage your health, including acne, hair loss, sexual dysfunction, headaches, muscle tension, difficulty concentrating, fatigue, and irritability. So, what does all this mean for you? Your life will always be filled with stressful situations, but what matters to your brain and entire body is how you respond to that stress. If you can view those situations as challenges you can control and master, rather than as threats that are insurmountable, you will perform better in the short run and stay healthy in the long run. Okay, so I hope that that served as another way to wrap our heads around what is going on in our body. I recognize that a lot of what they covered um, are uh, also went into details about different stress hormones and um, responses that we just dabbled into. And so now we're going to go into a little more detail about that. Um, but I just wanted to set a foundation and have that opportunity 
for someone to explain it, maybe in a way more articulate way <laughs> um, than I than I am doing my best at here. So first up, epinephrine and norepinephrine. Okay, so these are two neurotransmitters that also serve as hormones that you may better recognize as adrenaline and noradrenaline. These two hormones are different, but they work together as a part of the stress response. For the purposes of today, I'm not going to differentiate the difference between the two. And so instead, we'll just talk about them together. Um, but these hormones actually can feel good in the body. Um, so to make it make sense, <laughs> maybe in a better way, uh, the picture on the screen is an image that I actually took from a hot air balloon ride that I went on a couple years ago, and I absolutely can vouch for feeling the adrenaline in my body while I was in this hot air balloon. And physically, I've literally felt the effects of what the physiological response is from adrenaline. When you consider it, I felt lightheaded. Uh, I just knew in the first five seconds, I was just going to fall out. So um, I think that, you know, as you consider it and for yourselves and what that might look like, um, that it putting it in context in terms of when you might have felt um, adrenaline or noradrenaline, um, that is one uh, body uh, response, right? Feeling like you're going to pass out. Um, so back to the content of course so these two hormones are released by the adrenal glands that are located on top of each of the kidney and once they are released they produce a variety of effects one of which is increased blood pressure which we're going to talk about now and they touched on in the video that we watched so um blood pressure Key indicator for our health, right? Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail here, um, but let's talk about what's important. So during a threat or a crisis, a stressor has presented itself in your life. Um, the example uh, that we just looked at uh, you using my experience, the stressor that I experienced of about to go into surgery, um, right? We talked about how my blood pressure went up. So in these stressors and experiences of threats, crises, it can actually be helpful to have high blood pressure, okay? Uh, even consider when you're exercising, um, you need your oxygen um, to gets increased uh, and you need it to be increased rapidly and get to the organs and the muscles that are working hard for you, right? So that you can keep up so that you can make it um, through your workout. So it serves a purpose uh, and we want, you know, to get that blood to the important parts of our body. So what happens, however, is heightened blood pressure over long periods of time. So when you're experiencing uh, chronic stress, um, when your routine stress, right, that we talked about earlier is, is a day-to-day -day kind of um, experience for you that actually is perceived by the brain, um, the hypothalamus, the amygdala as a threat or a crisis, 
um, you know, blood pressure on the rise, right? Not helpful, okay? That can actually cause harm to your heart, kidneys, um, and ultimately your brain as well. And unfortunately, the hypothalamus and the amygdala, they can't make decisions for us. They're just doing their jobs, right? We ultimately still have some control over our executive functioning, um, even when it feels that we are completely out of control in periods of stress. Um, you know, we're going to talk about that actually kind of towards the end as we wrap up, but um, definitely want to discuss ways to deactivate that stress response um, to engage in some techniques so that although our amygdala and hypothalamus are telling our body to increase our blood pressure, um, we want to make sure that we're regulating, you know, those responses because we can, okay? So as we talked about, increased blood pressure, super helpful in a lot of circumstances. Just note it over the long term, not good, okay? Uh, their heart is going to need a break. We cannot keep up an overdrive pace and working in 24-7, you know, mode um, 24-7. Like, it just can't do that, okay? Um, and your body um, also needs a, a time to, to repair the potential um, damage that's been caused by the increased um, blood to vessels that it doesn't really need at the moment. Um, not to scare anybody, of course, that doesn't always end up as the case with heightened blood pressure, but it can. So um, we have to make sure, like I said, mindfulness that we're aware, right, of our own personal response to stressful situations, okay? All right, so one of these um, responses physiologically that happen during stressful situations, um, I think that most might consider maybe panic attacks as a way to kind of wrap your head around this, um, but it's, you know, hyperventilating can occur, right, in a stressful situation, breathing, gasping um, outside of your normal rhythm can happen. And what, why is that going on? Um, what's happening behind the scenes? It's actually epinephrine and norepinephrine or adrenaline that's impacting our breathing during this time. Fortunately, this is something that we actually do have some control over, which, um, as I said, we'll talk through, you know, some techniques and we'll engage in the techniques um, to, to control that. But what's happening in our body. So when adrenaline hits the lungs, we actually take deeper, fuller breaths, and adrenaline is opening up some of the small underutilized air passageways in the lungs so that it can get more oxygen in there. And the oxygen needs to get in there because it has to be delivered to the blood and other parts um, or excuse me, and blood then delivers it to other parts of the body that need it. So that is why our breathing quickens um, and it becomes faster because we're trying to get more oxygen in there, in our bodies. Okay. Of course, there's not really much harm in breathing more, but as I touched on, right, the challenge is when that can turn into hyperventilation, um, which can then trigger what we see happen with some of our clients, right? These panic attacks, okay? That's where it becomes problematic. 
once again, something that ultimately we do have some control over, some autonomy over. Um, and it might be difficult. Um, sometimes it's super, you know, challenging in the moment to be mindful of what you're experiencing um, in your environment, how your body's reacting as a response uh, to that experience, and then taking that next step to actually then let's intervene here and let's do something about it. But, um, you know, breathing exercises can definitely support and regulating and um, preventing the body into going into hyperventilation mode, panic attack mode. All right. Next experience that is happening in the body. So cortisol. Um, if you think back to my slide um, when I demonstrated the thought bubbles, the different thoughts going through my mind um, while I was waiting uh, for my procedure to be done. Um, one of those thought bubbles was I'm hungry. And um, I told you all, you know, okay, keep that in mind, because we'll come back around to it. So here we are back around to it. Um, many of us might have heard of cortisol before. Um, I know you, well, we all did um, from the video that we just watched. Um, and as the video kind of stated, right, it's an important hormone. And it's also released um, during our physiological stress response. And cortisol is released by those adrenal glands. Um, it works a bit different than adrenaline. Some of the effects, however, are similar. And it sustains excuse me, the changes that are going on in our bodies that we already talked about. So cortisol's job is to ensure that the body stays activated throughout the situation uh, and helps us prepare for battle because that's, you know, recalling back to one of our very beginning slides, right? Uh, caveman, the leopard, right? That is the, the fundamental um, baseline for uh, keeping in mind and considering why um, we experience our stress response. It's all designed for survival, all designed to, you know, fight or flight, right? Back to cortisol. <laughs> so. You can note that there are always going to be levels of cortisol that are present in your blood um, at any point in time, right? And essentially, basically, the more stress you have, the higher the levels of cortisol that are going to be present. So one of those impacts of cortisol, hunger, <laughs> um, and let's talk about it. So helpful ways <laughs> that the release of cortisol um, supports our stress response is that it adjusts our immune system um, so that our bodies can best respond to situations. I'm not going to go into the nitty gritty on how it does that, but some unhelpful ways. <laughs> is um, our immune systems also get tired, overworked, dysregulated, which now we are susceptible to contracting and picking up different viruses, um, different infections, okay? So the immune system can crash. Um, and this is all due to the amounts of cortisol that are released as a result of a stressful situation. So as 
we talked about a few seconds ago, the more stress, the more levels of cortisol your body's going to have. And essentially just think of the more cortisol in your blood, then the more inflammation that's present and inflammation is all bad for your immune system. Okay. Um, the increase of inflammation, chronic activation of inflammation in your body hijacks your immune system. And you can consider that cortisol is that hormone that's jacking up the, the inflammatory mode. Okay. Uh, I hope that makes sense. That's the most, uh, I guess, yeah, simplified way that um, I'm able to articulate that. I think the video also did a good job of connecting and correlating cortisol to the immune system, but that's um, one outcome of the presence of um, high levels of cortisol as a result of, you know, constant and chronic stress. Back to that, how does cortisol impact hunger? So cortisol and fat, all right? Cortisol, why, why does it make you hungry? It's um, actually preparing us. Cortisol is preparing us for battles. So that fight or flight, um, right? Our stress response protecting us because it's helping us get into survival, initiating our survival response essentially um, is also supported by the levels of cortisol. So um, cortisol um, preparing us for battle, going to battle requires food. Um, and so what happens is that there's an increase, um, in glucose in our blood and that increase in the glucose requires, all right, that we respond to these cravings. So I don't know if you've ever, you know, noticed how, and maybe not for all of you, um, but I can attest to this. In stressful situations at times, just like laying up there waiting for surgery, um, I crave certain foods and I, and it's not like I'm craving salads and I'm not craving, you know, cucumbers and carrot sticks. I want the good stuff. <laughs> I want the pastas. I want, you know, the hearty foods. I want the Thanksgiving place basically, right? When I'm stressed out. Um, and, and you can thank <laughs> cortisol for that. So it, cortisol increases our appetites strictly for those sugary, high carb foods, because they provide the most instantaneous forms of glucose, which is what we just stated, right, is needed um, for our hearts um, to, to keep up with the pace of um, the, the physiological responses going on. So ultimately, our body's just trying to respond to battle, response to survival, response to stress. Okay. So cortisol just wants to get that quick energy in there. It just wants to give you what you need to go. It's like the Red Bull, right? Uh, fast energy um, so that you can tackle on a situation that you are presented with. And so on the Flip side of things, cortisol wants to have backups <laughs> just in case that situation, that stressful situation continues on and those backups end up not being so helpful because it's going to store that fat um, and it stores it in the worst place, right? Right around that waistline. 
Um, and it's just all, why is it there? Um, uh, it's because it's easier for, uh, your body to, to access what it needs, um, from your waistline. Um, somebody can look into that a bit more because I'm not sure the whole why, but, um, just the takeaway is, um, if you're ever wondering, why you might be craving the things that, you know, are the highest in carb intake, the highest in sugar intake, pay attention to um, maybe what types of uh, categories under distress you might have experienced. Start noting your your test tubes, right? What, what have you been um, dealing with um, in, in your life recently? Um, what happened earlier that day? And um, you might be able to connect those dots. Um, but yeah, that's cortisol. So speaking of those test tubes, <laughs> so far, we're going to sum it up here. We've learned about the two classifications of stress. We had eustress, the good stress, and then we've had distress and the four subcategories of distress, ambient stress, routine stress, sudden stress, and traumatic stress. And then we looked at how the brain and the body responds to these variants of stress through that very intricate and complex stress response system. And then we took a look at how some of those negative impacts um, actually uh, caused by stress or a stress response have on our bodies. So as promised, right, we're going to take the last portion of today is to just talk about how do we counter those those maladaptive impacts? How do we counter the, the not fun side of our body's stress response and it's just doing what it does? Okay. If you think about that glass that was full from the cumulative stress that just adds in each test tube just pouring in there. I want you to think about how do you empty your glass, right? What are the things that you engage in um, to get some of that water out, some of that stress out? Just some, you know, techniques that we'll talk about. Oh, yeah, put it in the chat. My apologies <laughs> for not engaging everyone. Throw in the chat, how do you empty your glass? Um, I, I'm sure that we'll find some ways that are similar um, on the next slide to what you all do. So like uh, getting a massage, hiking, swimming, going a bike ride. You guys are dope. Meditation, yoga. Yeah. Self-care. Awesome. Dance. Love that. Paint, sleep. Yes, I can attest to that. Practice expressing gratitude or reflecting from a gratitude journal. Super powerful. Music is my jam too. Yeah, and being outdoors. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm um let's check it out. Um, I'm sure some of these points that you all noted for what you do are are probably up here. So um on the left, you can see some examples of how that glass gets filled. Um, which we talked about throughout uh, this presentation. Um, some examples fall under that ambient stress that's in the background, pollution, um, 
crime might be in the background of our lives. Um, homelessness, um, depending on an area you live in, could be the, in the background. So some ambient stress examples here. We got our daily commutes, right? Work projects, sharing relationship with our boss, some of those routine stresses. Then we got that sudden negative um, stress, slight loss of income, probably came out of nowhere. COVID-19 definitely came out of nowhere, right? Um, uh, past traumas. And then we, you know, move into the, the uh, more traumatic stress um, subcategory too, right? So all of these things are happening and our glass is just getting full. And then you guys are on it, emptying our glass. What are some examples? Daily meditations, talking to a friend, walking a dog, deep breathing, therapy, binge watching Parks and Rec, <laughs> reading about astrology, eating, mostly healthy, we try, taking baths, daily stretches. So um, I appreciate what you all also provided. I think those are powerful examples um, and I'm noting some myself. So thank you. All right, as promised, we're gonna take the last few minutes here and we're gonna empty the glass together with a breathing technique. And so my um, hope and my intention here with this breathing technique is that you are not only able to engage with it um, with yourself, um, but that you can also, if you enjoy it, engage your clients with it. In this little nugget of therapy, we're going to teach you how to trigger the parasympathetic response by using a grounding exercise. So in a previous episode, we talked about the importance of our nervous system in managing our emotions. There's both the sympathetic or the alerting, activating response in our bodies and the parasympathetic reaction, which is the calming, restoring part of our nervous system. And if we want to be healthy, we need to have a parasympathetically dominant nervous system. One of the ways we create that is by intentionally grounding the body in our senses. So here's a quick exercise on how to do that. Start to pay attention to the present moment and the circumstances around you. So go ahead and take a deep breath and let it out slowly. Now we're going to start by grounding our body in our senses. So the five senses that we have are essential to managing our emotions. So let's start with our sense of touch. So go ahead and touch three things in your environment. And as you touch them, describe them in your mind. So for example, you might touch the desk and say, this is smooth and cold. Do that with three objects. The next sense that we're gonna activate is our sense of sight. So go ahead and notice three things in your environment that you can see. Describe them in your mind as well. The last sense that we're going to use in this grounding exercise is our sense of hearing. So try to notice three different sources of sound in your environment and in your mind describe what they sound like. As you notice this sensory input, your body should become more grounded in the present moment. 
This is important because in order for our bodies to feel safe and for our minds to relax, we need to send the message that they are safe. And in general, the present moment that we are in is actually safe. So by grounding ourselves in our senses, we can send a message to our body and our brain that we are safe. Pay attention to the difference you're feeling in your body as you become centered in this moment. By becoming more grounded, you have impacted your nervous system. This is a little activity you can do throughout your day to feel a little bit calmer and to trigger that parasympathetic response. The more frequently you do it, the stronger your parasympathetic reaction will be and your nervous system will become dominated by a calm resolve. I hope this was helpful. Thanks for watching and take care. So one of the things that I like about that technique, um, I've shared another technique in the past, a quick breathing technique. Um, but this is something that you can do and no one has to know that you're even doing that, right? So um, in the presence of maybe a difficult conversation with a client, you can just listen to three things you hear. You can look around the room, scan the room, three things you see, scrub it in your head. You can touch three things, three different objects, describe that in your head. And um, no one even has to know that that's what's going on. And you're instantly um, activating that parasympathetic response and relaxing the body. So um, I hope you found that helpful. Just another technique to add to your toolbox and you can share it with your clients. Um, and you guys are being great. That is the end here um, of our training today. All right. Well, I just want to say once again, thank you so much for your time and for your engagement. Uh, you all are awesome. Thank you for the work that you do. I hope that at the end of it all, we talked about a lot of complex things, but the main takeaway is that stress is normal. It's just your body's response to it's innately and naturally doing what it's going to do. Um, and so ultimately the goal is to try and be as mindful as possible um, because we are still in control of how we show up for ourselves in those times of stress and how we regulate, right? And um, calm ourselves and get ourselves back to baseline. Um, but just know your body's your friend. It's just doing what it's designed to do. So stress is not bad. So thank you so much again for your time. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you. Thank you as well. Take care and please be safe and healthy.